This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adam Linehan grew up middle class in Austin, Texas, with all the opportunities that come with being middle class. But in his early 20s, his life started to take a turn. When I was uh, 21, I dropped out of college and enlisted as a medic in the Army for a number of of reasons like that don't really make sense to me that much anymore. But um, Are you willing to say what they are? Well, I mean, like, I, you know, I wasn't really doing well in school. I didn't really kind of see the point of going to college. I was, like, delivering pizzas. Like, I was doing drugs. I was drinking a lot. I was, like, just not. I, I didn't think that, like, a degree was going to be able to kind of, like, pull me out of the rut that I was in. I had developed, like, way too many bad habits. And, in fact, when I went um, to join the uh, the Army, they the recruiters were like, hey, you want to do this, like, urinalysis test just to see, you know, like, before we kind of have a serious conversation with you. And I pissed hot for everything on the panel. <laughs> um, and then I went in a few weeks later, and I pissed hot for, like, weed or something like that. And then they're like, okay, well— We'll take a chance on you. Because, like, they were really being super flexible with the rules. They were being flexible because Adam was joining in 2006. The wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were raging. And the Army needed soldiers. Adam says that at the time, he needed the Army as much as they needed him. I wanted to do something exciting and bigger. And I wanted to go places with my life. And I just saw, like... The, the army at that time, like, being involved in the wars and uh, was maybe a path to bigger and more exciting things. So, but 2006, like, that's a period when the, the wars are really hot. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, a, like, a controversial decision within my life. I mean, like, my parents were super upset, and, you know, my friends were very upset. I was living with my best friend at the time, and the recruiter came by looking for me one day and bid my friend open the door and was like, get the fuck out of here. But, I mean, I was super excited about it. Like, I mean, there are a few opportunities for young people in this country to kind of have big adventures. And it just it just seemed like the world, like, was just there, like, through this portal. It was very enchanting to me. I thought I was going to be jumping out of planes, shooting Osama bin Laden. 
I mean, as a medic, though, you know, I was going to be adjacent to that. I was going to like have just enough of a taste, like, to, but not die. Yeah, that was my idea in my head. Just enough to, you know, say I was there with a couple of bandages in your bag. Yeah, yeah. and it's just someone yeah. called medic. I go and yeah. put it on them. At first, Adam was stationed in Iraq as a medic treating detainees in a field hospital, and then with his next unit, he was sent to Afghanistan. They were in Kandahar, progressively going deeper and deeper into the heart of Taliban country. Other soldiers who are coming out are telling his unit how bad it is. There are IEDs. Adam can hear gunfights happening just outside the security perimeter. And then one day, his unit was in an outpost in the middle of nowhere, the most remote they'd ever been. You know, that moment arrived, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. I made a huge fucking mistake. I remember calling my mom as, like, the most fucked up thing I've ever done. And I was, like, on the verge of tears. And I'm like, I'm so sorry I've done this to you. Like, I've made a huge mistake. I don't want to die. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. From Pineapple Street Studios, this is Classy, a show about the chasms between us that are really hard to talk about but too big to ignore. I'm Jonathan Menhevar. Today we're going to talk about one of the biggest chasms between us in this country. Who serves in the military and who doesn't? I think a lot of people have this idea that the military is a place you go when you don't have other options. And that recruiters are there to take advantage of young people who are trying to figure out how to move forward with their life. But... I can tell you from looking into this that it's a lot more complicated than that. And understanding how recruiting works, seeing how that operates on the ground, it's a revealing look at all kinds of decisions and priorities we make as a country. Because the military is a kind of class magnifying glass, or like a class prism. Or, I don't know, I'm running out of metaphors here. But the point is, if you look closely the military reveals a ton about class in America. And nowhere are all of the class complications more on display than in the daily interactions between recruiters on the ground and the people they're trying to recruit. I first got interested in Army recruiting when I read an article years ago by that former medic, Adam Linehan, who you just heard. After he got out of the army, he became a reporter, and in 2017, he embedded with recruiters in northeast New Jersey to see how they went about meeting the quotas the army sets out. And what he found is that it's become increasingly difficult to sustain an all-volunteer army. Fewer and fewer Americans are qualified and willing to enlist. Recruiters were having a hard time hitting their numbers. In 2017, when I reported that article, I like I saw what was happening in Essex County as a, a forecast of what was going to happen in the country as a whole. Like that was the the kind of the ultimate conclusion that I came to, that the forces that were making it so difficult to recruit in Essex County were of national scope and that they were only gaining strength. That national recruiting crisis is here now. It seems that fewer Americans want to be all they can be as the U.S. Army faces a recruiting shortfall. Last year, the Army missed its recruiting mark by 15,000 soldiers. The U.S. military is facing its greatest recruitment crisis in 50 years. 
Military leaders say they are struggling. And so, to hit their for this show, I wanted to do something similar to what Adam had done with his story hang out with Army recruiters to see how they're facing this crisis. And more specifically, the ways that they're pitching the Army to people from different class backgrounds. So we teamed up with Adam and went back to those same areas where he'd done his original story. Adam is reporting and producing this episode with me. And before we head out into the field, let's just establish a few things. So first off, when you look at the Army... What's the class makeup? Where are people who join the Army coming from? Army recruiting is aimed squarely at the middle class. That is the sweet spot. Adam says there are a bunch of reasons why the Army wants middle class people. The primary reason is that recruiters think those people are the ones who are going to be able to pass something called the ASVAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. It's the multiple-choice test that everyone who wants to enlist in the military has to take. I asked Adam to describe what it was testing. Like, really basic stuff. You know, basic math, basic, like, um, reading competency, like, that kind of stuff. And it's, like, just a basic aptitude test, right? Scored from 0 to 99. 31 is passing. And 50 is considered a quality recruit. The ASVAB exists for bigger reasons, too. One is that the Army is a giant, complex organism with a bunch of complex roles that need to be filled. I mean, there has been consistent research that shows that higher IQ people make better soldiers. You know, and especially, like, the American military is so technologically advanced and so, like, reliant on technology— that actually, like, the need for higher, more intelligent soldiers just, like, grows and grows and grows. The ASVAB is there to make sure that the Army is getting recruits who will be able to learn and execute at a high enough level. And historically, you would find that that person, that kind of ideal recruit in the middle class, in, you know, communities where the education is good enough that they can pass the test, but where they're not so flush with opportunities that the Army would never be an option for them. And here's where the goals of the military run straight into the realities of America. Back in 1973, when the U.S. ended the draft and the military became all-volunteer, there was a huge middle class for them to recruit from. Those days are gone. A recent Pew study found that in 2021, Just 50% of the country can now be considered middle class. And this class gap means there's an education gap, too. If you live in a middle to upper middle class place, your schools are probably pretty decent. If you don't, they're probably not. And this education gap poses a huge problem for recruitment. The recruiters Adam was talking to were recruiting people who, on average, scored 35 on the ASVAB. 15 points below the target of 50. The Army has kind of made peace with the reality that that ideal recruit is never coming back, that they are not going to be able to continue to demand that person and still meet their recruiting requirements. There are other reasons the military is desperate for that middle-class, well-educated recruit. One is that even when the draft existed, 
it was possible for wealthier, better educated kids to get around it. Among the many reasons to protest the Vietnam War, a major reason was that it was largely poor kids, and more specifically, poor black kids, who were being sent to the front lines. The military has spent decades trying to counter that narrative. They need racial diversity and geographic diversity and class diversity. So that's what's weighing on these recruiters every day as they're tasked to go out and convince people to join. For the last 10 years or so, the Army has aimed to enlist somewhere between 60 and 80,000 new soldiers each year. Last year, the goal was 60,000. They fell short by 25%. But when Adam and I returned to the same recruiting company he'd visited in Northern Jersey six years ago, we discovered a different story. The recruiters there are totally killing it. They're making their numbers and running one of the most successful recruiting efforts in the country. How? You know, it's just pretty much office space. I mean, the recruiters are, you know, that's the talent, right? This is U.S. Army Captain Christopher Delgado. Adam and I went to see him in his office in Newark. Captain Delgado oversees the whole company of recruiters in North Jersey, which includes seven different stations, all spread out in different cities and towns in the region. Last year, out of the 261 recruiting companies across the country, Delgado and his team came in third. They recruited 417 people. Each month this year, they've been expected to bring in an average of 38 new recruits. And they've been consistently hitting their numbers. Delgado says that part of the success he's seen is because he's from Newark, and he understands it. This place is a big melting pot, uh, North Jersey, for sure. The diversity here is unlike anywhere else in the country, in my eyes. I mean, you could be in one city that's predominantly Dominican, right? And I cross the Passaic River, and everybody with their last name has a ski to it, and it's very Polish, right? So I think that was an outlook that a lot of the recruiters did not see. You know, I always known that the East Ward of Newark is like, oh, that's where the Portuguese and Brazilians live, you know? And so I, like, educated them on that. He knew there's an African community in the South Ward, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans in the North. So he's tried to target where he sends recruiters. Getting the right people in the right locations is key in this aspect. Because, I mean, I didn't need Sergeant Knight, who was a white Caucasian from Florida in the South Ward of Newark at Weekway High School. It just wasn't working out. Yeah. So, so you've got the white guys going to white towns and neighborhoods, Dominicans going to those neighborhoods. Right, predominantly, right. Um, can you tell me anything about how things break down class-wise? Do you, are you aware of, like, economic levels of people who are enlisting? Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't aim at, like, hey, I'm going to target the wealthier in, yeah. in the white-collar neighborhoods. Or, you know, we just go off of people's goals, really. Um, but, you know, on average, it is middle-class people that are joining the Army, right? Um, I would say there's more middle-class than poor or the 1% wealthy, right? I mean, it's less than 1% that we get from, like, the towns like Summit. Or, or There is a town in New Jersey that nobody's ever put anybody in the Army, Alpine, you know. Alpine, New Jersey is one of the most expensive towns in America. Chris Rock and Kellyanne Conway have had homes there. Do you have a recruiter in Alpine? <sighs> we don't. We don't have one. We have record that nobody's ever joined out of that 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 town ever inside the army. You need to put that on a billboard or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
we do incentivize like I have incentivize like I will write you a award like if you if you get a recruit out of a, a town like that. Is there is there less of an effort put into those towns and neighborhoods? Um, I, I will say so because we we do have record of contracts that you know hey. Uh, this this particular city A put in two contracts last year, or one contract in five years. So we don't exactly dedicate our prospecting efforts to towns like that. Delgado says they also don't target low-income people. Predominantly, those kind of people, they kind of find us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They, they kind of walk in. I've talked to applicants out of the station that like, hey, I know where I'm from, and it's not any good for my life right now. Um, I'd like to enlist in the army to get free of that environment and do something bigger with my life, you know? Um, but there is no way that our recruiters in the station will go predominantly target housing projects, for instance, in, in the city of Newark or anything like that, or anywhere, any of the cities in New Jersey and think that like, Hey, we're going to get poor people to join, uh, that, yeah, there's, we don't operate like that. Okay, so they're not targeting specific neighborhoods based on class. But the reality is there are people who are more inclined to say yes and others who are more likely to say no. And the recruiters know it. We saw this in action one morning last winter. Adam and I went to Glen Ridge High School with some recruiters from the East Orange Station. East Orange is one of the poor towns where these recruiters work. The median household income there is just over $50,000. And if recruiters truly did target poor people, they'd focus on communities like that. But for all the reasons we've talked about, they're still trying to get in front of whatever middle class, and even more elusively, upper middle class kids they can. Which is why they're here in Glen Ridge. Glen Ridge is mostly white. The median household income is over $240,000 a year. The school had set up a table in a hallway near the front door, and the recruiters laid out some brochures and a sign-up sheet. They had some army swag to give away, T-shirts and pop sockets. But the hallways were empty. I pulled one of the army guys aside, Lieutenant Jack Chitterelli. He's not technically a recruiter, but he helps oversee recruiting efforts like this. So now we wait, I guess. Yes, so that's, the, that's the fun thing with... Uh, yeah. Recruiting in schools like this, especially if they kind of put you in a hallway like this, like, yeah, there's foot traffic. Not that I've really seen all that much foot traffic yet. Maybe it's just a long period. We went to one school a couple weeks ago. I won't name names. But they just treated like us with the plague. You know, they put us in an empty cafeteria after lunch periods, and they just said, okay, like, good luck. But we might see a rush. Maybe it's just class changes, but we'll see it, yeah. It's also, Glen Ridge is more of a affluent town, upper-scale town, so... It'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of crowd we get here. After about 15 minutes, class let out and kids started walking through the hallways. A few boys were lingering around, asking what they'd have to do to get a t-shirt. One kid started asking a recruiter questions. Do I get any money for doing it? No. <laughs> no money? I mean, unless you join, that's the only way you get paid. But if I join the army, I get paid. Sam so Lawrence. Like right now, if I sign my name and I, I like, I follow up, I, I'll get money. Yeah, no. I don't just do it for free. No, that's not how it works. So I don't get paid if I come and I do the U.S. recording, yeah. recruiting station. 
No, you, you have to join the army in order to get paid. Okay, but does that mean I don't do school? Do I just like... <laughs> Once I'm done with high school, then I join the army. Uh, well, I kind of want to get paid now. You know? Can I just join the army now? Ninth. Next year, can I just join the army? No, you gotta wait till you get your junior year. How many push-ups can you do? For me? Yeah. I can do it to like almost 80. 80? Yeah. Think you do 100 if you like really push yourself? Yeah. 100? Alright. Back then we used to do like um, about like 80 in two minutes. Yeah, some people do it. Maybe I shouldn't join the army. That doesn't sound like fun. It seemed pretty clear that this kid and several others who dropped by weren't all that interested in the army. I mean, in some ways they were just being teens, screwing with the recruiters the same way they might with any adult. Lieutenant Cittarelli and the recruiters were having them do push-ups in exchange for T-shirts. Whole body's got to move as one plane. One plane. When one kid was done doing push-ups, Lieutenant Cittarelli started making his pitch. He plays soccer or what? Football and basketball, the kid says. He says he wants to go to med school when he gets older. And Lieutenant Cittarelli sees his opening. Well, yeah, I'm going to pay for med school. Yeah. Med school's expensive, man. You go to the Army... I know a lot of kids that I went to school with who joined the army, and they went on, they went on what they call an education delay, which means they delay their service so that you can go and get your further training because the army's always short on doctors. The army's always looking for doctors. The army's always looking for nurses. So they'll give you an education delay and allow you to go to the proper schooling that you need to be a doctor or a nurse, that kind of thing. And then you could be a doctor or a nurse or whatever you need to be in the army. Make sure you got a plan, because junior year creeps up on you, senior year creeps up on you, so. But, uh, you know, Sergeant Lawrence will give you his car if it's something you're considering as you get older. Well, you want to take the test. Um, but if y'all want some, like, we're not forcing y'all stuff. A few kids wrote their names and contact info down on the sheet. But mostly, they just kept screwing around with the recruiters. After doing some one-handed push-ups, one kid rejected a pop socket the recruiter tried to give him. I want my compensation, the kid kept saying. If I join the army, what do I get? Do I get a car? What else do I get? That kid walked away without signing the recruiter's list. When he was gone, I'd walked up to the recruiter he'd been talking to, Sergeant Peter Lawrence. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, now you see what I go through. <laughs> but yeah, some, some kids at schools, they, they be like that. Um, I don't know why they do it, but that's how some kids are. So. Jackie, you seem pretty pissed about it. I, just, I wasn't pissed, but... <laughs> I'm just a serious guy. You're just a serious guy? I'm just a serious guy. I wasn't pissed, but I was getting to the point. I was about to tell him in polite terms like, stop wasting my guy's time, just because that's what he was doing. He didn't, he didn't have my blood boiling, but I was getting to the point. I was like, all right, man, stop. Just, just stop. I think it boils down to the kind of school you're at. Um, I looked it up. You know what the uh, college acceptance rate is here? Uh, I'd, I'd imagine it's like in the 80% range. 97%. It's actually 97% who are going to college, not students who are accepted. But same general idea. 97. 97% of kids at this school are going to a four-year college or some institution of some kind. 1% military, 1% other. I don't remember what the other 1% said. But so they're not, they're not dumb kids, I would say. They know that uh, this isn't their path, and you know they thought it was kind of funny. 
that's kind of what you'll see at certain schools. When you get to some schools that are not as working class, or towns that are not as working class, like Glen Ridge, you kind of see that divide of kids and how they act and just how they perceive the military in general. It really does break down to class like that? I think it does. I mean, it, when you look at it, it does break down to class uh, and just where you're from, how you're raised. Uh, I, think, I think it does. But that's not to say that there's not outliers. But yeah, I think it, that's, you know, it's definitely a, definitely a factor. Lieutenant Cittarelli is right. It's not like kids from wealthy neighborhoods like this never join the Army. It's just that when those kids do join, they're not typically enlisting with recruiters. They take a different path. They'll go to a military academy like West Point or an officer candidate school and join that way. So if it's not these kids, how is the newer company hitting their numbers? Coming up, we get some answers. And we hear from people who've recently made the decision to enlist. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. And I want to tell you about a podcast I think you're going to love. Who Weekly is a podcast about everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Does celebrity news stress you out? Are there too many people you've literally never heard of? Check out Who Weekly, a podcast hosted by Lindsay Weber and me, Bobby Finger. Each episode goes deep into the biggest Who Liberty stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we'll answer the most burning listener queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly on the Odyssey app or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shimol Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now, I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Jonathan here, your very classy host. Is everybody tracking? Is everybody paying attention? We're looking at Army recruiting in this episode. And recently, a bunch of new recruits and some recruiters were gathered on an empty soccer field in Secaucus, New Jersey, just across the river from New York. They were there for something called the Mega Future Soldier Event. Most of these people were headed to basic training in a month or two. And it was a chance for them to meet other people who had recently enlisted and really just hang out and have fun. They were doing push-up contests and these races where they had to tie tourniquets and drag each other across the finish line. The recruiters kept telling them to take it easy. Don't get hurt before you ship off. Higher, higher, higher. 
For us, it was a chance to do an informal survey of people who had enlisted through the newer company this year. Our associate producer, Marina Henke, and I talked to over 30 people that day. We asked them about why they were enlisting, their families, whether they planned to go to college. And it was clear they were mostly working class and middle class. All of them, except for one guy, were teenagers. And they had signed up with the Army for different reasons. Some of them were a little aimless, trying to figure out what to do after high school. Others came from families who had a long military history. A few were interested in becoming police officers. But mostly what came up again and again was money. Most of the recruits knew what kind of financial package they were going to get. Signing bonuses, college loans, all of that. Yeah, it's going to help me be more disciplined, I guess, because right now I'm just not at all. Like, I get a paycheck, it's gone the next day. And you're going off in a month. Do you feel excited? Do you feel nervous? Um, I'm excited yeah. for the money. I mean, I mean, just, just so, like, I, I want to invest it. So, like, yeah, just invest in, like, crypto. And have you both been planning for a while on, on enlisting and, and going into the army? Truthfully, not really. I kind of made that decision when my boy uh, referred me to it after a college crisis of mine. So some debt issues. My recruiter uh, talked to me about the benefits and like how it is. Like I thought it was all about war and stuff, but like he told me like the, the how it actually is. Like it's not all about war. Like it's like helping people and mostly making money. Like, he he told me like he likes making money, so like, and I like making money too. Captain Delgado was at that event, and I checked in with him to see how they were doing. The fiscal year was almost over, and he said they were still hitting their numbers. They've recruited 382 soldiers. They're currently the eighth best recruiting station in the country. He attributed a lot of that success to the Newark station. That's where the most recruits were coming from. And a lot of them, it turned out, were immigrants. You know, I just had a, took a phone call from a future soldier yesterday asking, you know, how can I get my parents naturalized because I joined? I know there's benefits. It's easier, right? So there's a lot of, we do have a lot of I-551 holders in the, in the Newark area, right? I-551 is the official name for a green card. And they, they see the United States Army as a pathway to citizenship, right? So that is a big incentive for a lot of um, people that are fresh into the country with I-551 cars, and they want to get, gain that citizenship. And that's, it's all, the Army's always offered that, right? So recruiting immigrants, that's one way Captain Delgado and his recruiters are beating the odds and doing something different than what's happening nationally. And one day, while Adam and I were out reporting, we discovered another answer. One more reason they're doing so well here in northeastern New Jersey. Remember, when Adam first reported his story, he found one major challenge recruiters were facing is that people couldn't pass the ASVAB test. It was a real marker of the education gap in this country. In the low-income community of East Orange, Adam found that recruits there averaged 35 on the ASVAB. We talked to recruiters this time around who had potential recruits who had scored in the single digits. And one day, we ended up at the station in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And we were talking to the guy who runs it. His name is Sergeant Revis. And 
he told us how the Army is now getting around those low scores. Now the Army has this great program that is called the 09 Mike, which is pretty much you enlist uh, with under a passing score. 09 Mike. That's just 09M for us civilians. It's officially called the Future Soldier Preparatory Course. But 09 Mike, it lets people enlist when they haven't yet passed the ASVAB. Then once they're enlisted on a delayed contract, the Army tutors them. It's a training that lasts about two months. And pretty much the Army gives you training when it comes to passing the ASVAB. Pretty much it gives you classes in general science, things like that. Things like high school classes for the person to get a better understanding how the ASVAB works. And they get the, the opportunity to take the test again, but while they are already receiving the Army benefits. How many people have you had go through the program here? Uh, I think so far, I think we have about, I would say 12. Out of how many? About the 50 sound that we enlisted this year. 12 out of about 50 recruits that came in from this station initially couldn't pass the ASVAB. So it helps your mission out a lot. We have helped the mission, yes. We have helped the Army General. We checked with Captain Delgado to see how they were using the 09 Mike program across all of his stations. He couldn't give us exact numbers, but he estimated that the newer company has enlisted around 100 people through the 09 Mike program. That's more than a quarter of their total recruits for the year. While we were in the Bloomfield station finding out all these details about the 09 Mike program, I could tell Adam thought it was really significant. I asked him about it later. To me, what it it says is that the army has come to the conclusion that there's no getting over this education gap. They basically have to accept it. I mean, essentially, wh whatever they call it, like they have effectively have lowered the passing score by 10 points. And, and that's significant because 31 was already pretty low. So those are some of the ways Delgado and his crew in North Jersey are able to consistently hit their numbers and be so successful. While we were working on this story, the thing I kept coming back to is that regardless of the way they're getting in, for the most part, the people who are enlisting, they're kids. They're teenagers trying to figure out what the hell they're gonna do with their lives. One person I talked to at that mega future soldier event told me that it's scary, just not knowing what you're going to do next. Maybe that's not so surprising, but for some people, like probably a lot of those kids at Glen Ridge High School, the future is clear. You're going to college, maybe to med school. You're going to follow the path that people in your family have laid out before you. And even if you step off the path a bit, it's okay. You've got a backstop. But for others, You've got to build that path as you go. The Army, even with that prospect that you were signing up to possibly be deployed to a battlefield somewhere, it's one way you can try and move forward and have something to hold on to along the way. 
And at that event, we met someone who is really depending on the Army for his future. I wanted to know more about him, so I went to his house in Patterson, New Jersey. His name is Knowledge Sap. He's 18, he lives with his mom, and he's headed to basic training in a year, once he finishes his senior year of high school. He goes to a performing arts school. I go there for dance, so. But I like kind of outgrown it. Like I used to be skinny like you, and, but now I started working out for the uh, army and uh, football, so I kind of gained weight. So I was like, yeah, dance not for me no more. You just can't move the same way? No, I can still move the same way, but I just don't want to because I got bigger. <laughs> I would just rather not. Because it looked weird watching an Aki dude do a ballet pose. Like, why he that buff and he doing a ballet pose and tights? Eight months ago, Knowledge became a dad. He's got a baby boy. He's a happy baby. He don't cry. Oh, and he, every time he see you, he go like this with his hands. He's opening he and closing them. Yeah, he clench his hands up and he shake because he wants you to pick him up. Knowledge says he missed a lot of school last year. Between his son being born and work, he's got a job serving food at a hospital where his mom also works. And uh, what's Patterson like? Uh, it got his goods and it got his bads. Like, it's dangerous, you know, just to walk to the corner store. But at the same time, one thing I know about Patterson, we just like one big family. Only thing that's just getting in the way is the gangs and the gun violence. If you're from Patterson or you just live in an area like this, you know the times like, okay, this is the best time to walk to the store. I know there's nothing going on. Or this is the worst time to walk to the store because I know a lot of things happen around the time. Like you go to a party, just try your best not to walk home. Always get an Uber or a ride because walking home, you could end up in a bad situation. Basically, sunrise to around 6 p.m. is when knowledge feels okay to be out. If you know I can't go out after 6, do you ever end up feeling like a little trapped here? Yeah, you definitely can feel trapped. It's because it's like, like say if you if there's no food in your house at all, and there's a corner store, a local corner store by your house, and you know, oh, they close at 9 and it's 8 o'clock, and you're like really hungry, Nine times out of ten, you're going to starve for the night because you don't want to spend, like, you know, go spend money and then you can end up dying, like, not risking my life for some food when I could always get it when it's a better time tomorrow. Knowledge says he's had guys in his face threatening him because they mistook him for someone else. He's been shot at. When Knowledge was 13, he was assaulted by the police. He and his friends used to play a video game based on that old movie, The Warriors. And in the game, the characters always run when the police sirens come on. So we was coming from the basketball courts, and we was not thinking of anything. And we just heard cop sirens. And we was like, last one to the corner, you know, like a rotten egg. And he actually was speeding. And we get to the corner, and we all stop. And the cop car stopped. And me and me and my friends tried to run. And two of my friends got away, but they tackled me to the ground. And they put me in handcuffs. And I was explaining to the officer, I was like, officer, I'm only a teenager. I don't got no gun. He was kicking my foot and like shaking my pockets really hard. 
explaining like where the gun at, or he gonna beat me up, all kind of stuff like that. Like, you know, you see it on news and like it happened to a lot of people, but when it happened to you, you're like shocked. Like, wow, I never thought that would happen to me. That's the kind of life that I wanna try and get my son away from. So he don't never have to experience none of that at a young age because the only thing it, it builds is trauma and you know, later on it, it affects the person that you become as you grow. So I don't want that to affect him. All of this stuff, it's one of the major reasons why knowledge enlisted. He says in some ways, he's always wanted to join the army. He was into old war movies, and he likes the idea of being a part of something. And like, I always wanted to be a firefighter too, because it's like that feeling of just, you know, helping people out and saving people and give you that, that good feeling. And whenever I get that good feeling, I like it, and I just try to keep it going. Army always been a big thing for me, but firefighting was like number one. Like, no matter what I do in life, I gotta be a firefighter. Why not just do whatever you do to become a firefighter? Why are you deciding to go to the Army? Because I, I still want the Army experience. So, like, being in the Army uniform, being around guys that did amazing things at, in the Army, like, seeing the world. Because I know as a firefighter, you're stationed in one spot. But, like, as a, when you're in the Army, you get to be stationed in amazing places. Like, you could be in London, Paris one day. It's a nice world, and I want to get out there and see it. About a year ago, Knowledge went to a recruiter's office and enlisted. He scored a 45 on the ASVAB, higher than the passing score of 31, but not in that range above 50 that the Army is aiming for. He's hoping he did well enough on that test that he'll qualify to get some firefighting training. He says what he's seen of the Army has been good so far. He likes the camaraderie. The first time I worked out with them, we played a basketball game. It felt like a fresh breath of air. Like I felt in a safe and good environment, like where I could actually be a kid again. I didn't have to always look over my shoulders or be tippy-toeing when I'm walking around everybody. Like, always on guard, like I was able to relax and actually enjoy myself. Does it, like, like you can breathe in yeah. a way? Yeah, make you feel like I'm at a point in my life where like life is going good. Up until I step back into Patterson and realize the reality I'm living in. Do you get that feeling from anything else in your life? Uh, skateboarding, my kid, uh, Pretty much that's it. I started skateboarding probably like a year or two ago, but I always wanted to do it when I was younger. Like nine times out of 10, if you ever see me out in public somewhere, you're gonna see my skateboard with me. Sounds like you really like moving around that way. Yeah, I like, I don't like walking at all. Like I said, walking is not a good, thing to do in Patterson at all. I like going fast too, so that's that's another thing. I get a rush from going fast on the skateboard. I like going down the hills without like trying to break or stop or slow down. I just like, boom, sending it, fully sending it down the hills. 
it'd be fun. Knowledge is looking for freedom. He wants to be able to move. I like Mother Nature. I like being out in the nature. Like, I honestly feel like if I had a second life, I would be a farmer. Like, I, I like animals. I like cows. I like horses. I like all that kind of stuff. You still got time for that life, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I told my family, I said, when I settle down, I'm going to get me a little farm, get a little horse, a little pony or something, get some chickens, and just eat some raw eggs or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just like, I like, like if I was to go out in the forest and like if I was able to see the sunset, I would literally just sit on the ground and just watch it for hours. Like even in my backyard, I have a little space, like fake grass I could lay down on and put some sheets on and lay down and just look up at the moon, the stars at night. I just like that kind of thing because it helps you escape from reality sometimes and help you see like how beautiful the world can be sometimes. So much of what Knowledge shared, it wasn't about the army at all. It was about this kind of different life he wants, far away from Patterson. And he doesn't see a lot of clear paths forward. He's not interested in going to college. The firefighter thing doesn't necessarily mean he'll leave Patterson. In that way, the army offers him the same thing it's been offering people for years. A chance to be lifted out of where you are. And an opportunity to climb up the class ladder. But that climb is just so much more steep now. And what he dreams of, it's pretty simple. A chance to see something else. A possibility of living in a more peaceful place. Can't help but want that for him. Can't help but imagine that he'll be a great asset to the army. He's such a thoughtful and hardworking kid. And you can't help but wonder if the army will be enough to get him there. The town where Knowledge lives, Patterson, is not far from the wealthy Glen Ridge neighborhood where I went to that high school recruiting event. It's only nine miles down the road. About a 20-minute drive. But man, a lot can change over nine miles. There's no visible border, but you can see the class shift in really tangible, concrete ways. In the way the houses look, whether or not there are manicured lawns. And you can also see it in the kind of food that's available. What we eat can say a lot about where we're from. And that's what we're talking about next time. Unclassy. Classy is a production of Pineapple Street Studios. This episode was produced by me and our associate producer, Marina Hankey, in collaboration with Adam Linehan. Our producer is Kristen Torres, senior managing producer, Asha Saluja. Our editor is Haley Howell, executive editor, Joel Lovell. Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardales and Jade Brooks. Senior engineers are Marina Pais and Pedro Alvira. Fact-checking by Tom Colligan. This episode was mixed and scored by Marina Pais. Music in this episode from Joseph Shabasin, courtesy of Western Vinyl. Joseph Shabasin and Vibrant Matter, and Shabasin and Gunning, courtesy of Seance Center. 
Additional music from Epidemic Sound. Our artwork is by Kurt Courtney and Lauren Vira at Cadence 13. Marketing and promotion by Grace Cohen-Chen, Hilary Schuff, and Liz O'Malley. Legal services for Pineapple Street Studios by Crystal Tupia at Odyssey. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. The next episode will be out in a week. Make sure to listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.